Hello. Hi, everyone. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Environmental Podcast. Yes, this is our podcast where we investigate different aspects of sustainability and we choose one a month and we dive deep, deep into that aspect. Boom. Yes. And this month we are talking about sourcing. Yeah. All about it. Holy crow. Honestly, I have to say I'm pleasantly surprised with where we're at. I like in the beginning, I mean, last month we talked about deforestation and it was so fucking sad making. Yes, it was tough and sad. Yeah, it was hard. (laughs) And we kind of came into this one being like, all right. We were not super hopeful that we would have solutions ever. (laughs) <laughs> ever again we were like there's never gonna be yeah us being helpful ever again but <laughs> last week we talked to trish she was dope this week we did research and uh read dr bronner's new book that literally came out a week ago yes it did yes it came out the beginning of march um yes and it's called honor thy label um by uh giro Lezon. Yeah. Um, and he is like one of the top exec people in their special operations team, I think is what I'm doing this mm-hmm. because that's what they call themselves. That's like, yeah. or what Dr. Brunners calls them. Um, and he all around badass, I would say, travels the world, does great things with sourcing. This couldn't have been a better book for us like it came, we, I don't even know. We were doing the, we were looking for, you were looking for books. Mm-hmm. It was and, incredibly uh, serendipitous, we like, I would say, but yeah. 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 You were looking for books and you were like, Hey, so this one's coming out in March. It's about Dr. Bronner's and honor the label and how they, how they do their sourcing and how they build value chains. And I was like, yeah. That's yes. And yes. we were already starting, like we were already in the sourcing yeah time period like we already knew that sourcing was our topic for this particular month and finding a book that about sourcing and like like how a brand actually did it is is actually kind of hard to find so like a lot of the books out there just kind of like there may be about supply chains there may be about like finding products to sell but it's not at all the perspective that we're we were really looking for which is like how they deal with the hardships of finding an ethical supply chain. Right. And magically this book arrived. (laughs) Dr. Runners has been a magic influence in my life. Can I just say before we really dive into this book that like our first foray, like my first foray with Dr. Runners, I was like 19 and I was learning about uh, like getting, I was like called a hippie and like getting really into it. And I loved, I love their label and I read it and I was really, and I've used Dr. Bronner's ever since. But then in 2016, Courtney and I had a chance to go to Burning Man and, uh, from Dr. Bronner, like in, we camped with the Dr. Bronner's camp. Highly recommend if you are a burner, check out the all one camp because they have a foam dome and they have a, um, they actually talk about it in this book. They have a fire truck that like 
burn that like uh spits foam at you and then you just shower all together it's great so that was our first my first foray into burning man which is where i have like made a ton of friends have a standing camp now and also like that's where i met my partner and basically why i live in the netherlands and why sort of why dandelion branding maybe exists so like thank you dr bronner's for my life i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i think that's very yes that is a that is a good way to put it i yeah nothing about your life would be where it's at right now if it wasn't for dr bronner's partnering with the brand that we were working with at the time give us the opportunity to come there and to to work in their camp and just be a part of the all one camp and they were so 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 incredibly welcoming and open and it was really really phenomenal just to kind of see how that group of people operated their camp how they set everything up we got we like yeah yeah, it was so exciting to be able to help set everything up with them at Burning Man. Yeah, Um, they're so established and also there. And since then, like I've been able to do a lot of direction in my own camp and also like the things we learn at how to relate to people. And like, I think partially being for me, at least being comfortable with like, we swear and often like a sailor and we are very comfortable in the way that we occupy space like comes from being able to see that is such a a dynamic brand and they're so massive and people still love them regardless of how they show up because they show up they're unapologetic and they are they are themselves through and through and this book is definitely a reflection of that and it is and it but it's polarizing you know but that's what's so incredible about the Dr. Bronner's brand is that Mm -hmm. they are they are so dedicated to their values and they don't care that it is polarizing right. and like you're either with right. us or you're, you're or you're not and that's cool um they don't yes. want to be a brand that applies to you know that is universal for every single for everyone they could be but like yeah i mean they are so so just yeah. open with all of their brand values and it is mm-hmm really an inspiration um yeah they're a really really good model for in in their transparency and their values and how they communicate for sustainable brands around the world absolutely yeah and love dr brunners yeah so thank you dr brunners for changing our lives (laughs) and for writing this book because it is i mean just an incredible resource for people who are owning, who own or operate a brand that, you know, if you are supplying anything from anywhere in the world, you can learn something from this book. Absolutely. I think they do. (laughs) We were laughing. They're definitely honoring the label. The book is like real wordy, (laughs) you know, like the, like the label, but you know, that's that again that's just this that's how they operate and it's it's lovely you um, wouldn't have it any other way unless there was an hour-long section about psychedelics in amsterdam you know like what <laughs> it's so it's true. it's true that's there um yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
it's and it's funny um it made me it actually made me want to like go to the head shop um <laughs> like i'm in the netherlands i could do that um but i think also it the length and the time that garo took to explain all of the all of the intricate pieces of how to build a value chain is so helpful and i think one of the things i wrote down is that it mirrored trish because one of the main pieces of advice is advice that she gave us was to treat the farmers like they're your team members and to help them to provide things for them if they needed a tool like develop it or or just just send it to them they they might not not might not have the right tool and that could like increase their efficiency or if you know like it could increase their yield like um it was the essential oil distillery in france had a really cool way to distill that was way more that was more efficient than the essential oil distillery in i think india and they just like info shared. Mm-hmm. And that kind of that kind of relationship is so normal for Dr. Bronner's, but it is not a typical relationship that someone has with their sourcing. Yeah. Or a brand has with the way that they source their products. Right. And it's I mean, totally what Trish was like, you should do it like this. Yes. Yeah. Like everybody agrees. So I'm on board. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so Dr. Bronner's is such a massive brand. So they have the ability to have dedicated teams that are, you know, going to these, um, these farms and where their raw ingredients are sourced and they're able to develop systems there. And they kind of have, they partner a lot with nonprofits to help, Mm -hmm. Um, kind of fund these things at the beginning. And then once they are up and running and then Bronner's is essentially the buyer for that raw ingredient. Mm-hmm. So they're sort of, it's, it's very mutually beneficial kind of relationships that they're, that they're forming in these different yeah. areas around the world. And, right. and it's, it's just mm-hmm. kind of incredible that a brand is is dedicating that many resources to establishing these incredible fair trade sources that are not exclusive to Dr. Bronner's that like any brand could now partner with these farms and these processing Mm -hmm. facilities that exist Mm -hmm. because they're their own entity and that's a beautiful beautiful thing they've opened up the ability for other businesses to be able to um, operate with their incredible fair trade resources. And I think it's interesting because they work at kind of like an economy of scale. And I want to just like the difference between, for instance, what Trish was talking about, which is meet one farmer and then source from that farmer. That's for a small brand. Whereas a brand like Dr. Bronner is, is, is huge. They, they can't just work with one farmer. They need they need sourcing and ingredients from multiple farms in order to meet demand for their product. So I think just on the same note, it's so awesome that they were like, well, we're going to get 
5,000 or, or 2,500 farms and farmers in this area to become fair trade and organic and we're going to pay them for it. And we, they put so much money. It what I, I never really thought about it, but for a brand this size to source everything fair trade and to create a fair trade value chain where it doesn't exist and an or, and organic, holy shit. Like it, they basically went into places. Yeah. Every time. Oh my God. Millions of dollars. Yeah. They, yeah, they went into places that were the term, which I find so endearing, but also like, (laughs) yeah, it it makes sense. Organic by neglect um, because they just, they're basically farms that just didn't have the money or the resources And it was like a whole area, like a whole, I don't know, a region Mm -hmm. of that were, that was organic by neglect. And this seems to be how they operate because it was kind of the same story over and over again with several different products. They um, find these farms and then they help them make their yield higher. They help them get fertilizer or whatever they need to be able to just like supply the ingredient they need and then they buy and then they buy it at a at a fair trade level and that's essentially like the whole plan that they have and then they turn that into a a business that is a source for a specific ingredient or a list of ingredients which seems so simple (laughs) but like we operate we operate two businesses and it's so much you know or like our I cannot imagine being on this special ops team where I can actually, it's really inspiring and exciting (laughs) and like, and like having it in my brain in all these different operations and all these different countries around the world. It's super interesting. And, and one of the recurring themes of the places that, cause they, they would go to different regions of the world to source different ingredients, things that grew kind of naturally Mm -hmm. Um, in in those areas yeah like indigenous plants that they could dynamically olive oil from the middle east or um, you know palm oil from west africa cocoa Mm -hmm. from south america parts of west africa also Um, yeah but the recurring themes was that you know at the beginning it was always a bit of a challenge like yeah there there definitely were those farms that were technically organic because they've never used pesticides because they've just never been able to 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 afford them but there's also like so messy like have you ever spent any time in a garden that's been neglected for years and years and years or a farm yeah. I mean, it's not going to oh be God. the best yield. It's not the most efficient system. Yeah. So they were fa- they, like the recurring theme was that they were always facing some bit of kind of unlearning that they had to sort of come in and, and teach the farmers different ways to operate, which yeah. sometimes worked or sometimes was met with a bit of opposition because some of the decisions were kind of cultural. I think like one example mm-hmm. was like um, sugarcane in, in parts of West Africa where they were using machetes to cut it down because machetes are quite a common tool in that region. Um, 
and they didn't want to use any sort of other tool because that was just like culturally what they wanted to use, but it was actually like demolishing the plant. So it yeah, took- it was really, it's really bad for the plant. Yeah, yeah. So there were a lot of instances of that where, which were referenced in this book where, you know, they really had to take time and be quite patient with the, the farmers. And again, that kind of speaks to having that relationship with them and building trust and, and treating them like you're, they're your team, teammates because mm-hmm. they are. They uh, are. And one thing that I find really, cool. really endearing and also think of as a good business move and something that kind of grates in my mind a little because Garrow never actually said it was like a specific business move, but it definitely is something they thought about was how underpaid and underutilized, how they, they sort of actively searched for underpaid and underutilized farms and farmlands and farmers to go there and say, hi, I would like to do, I would like you to change everything and like like, how would you feel if just like a white dude showed up at your house? And I mean, this Garrow is a German dude and like Dr. Bronner's is a, is a company run by a white dude with, with German roots. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> in these countries are like Sri Lanka and South America and West Ghana. Wait, there's just a white dude showing up being like, hi, I noticed that you're like, your farm is, is a mess. Um, I can like make your yield higher and help you do, but you just have to change everything, which I'll also pay for. So it's Mm -hmm. like, it's a good business move, but also there's this piece of colonialism that still exists there. Yes. And white savior kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And he, they use the term constructive capitalism, which I think is like very much happening here because Mm -hmm. yeah, they work to make sure that women are like, in in leadership roles and that the the people the team members and the teams that they create after a after a a, um, a business is mature enough are people that are on the ground that live there that are local and they do a lot of work to like offer the local space but it does it does have a little bit of that like like opportunist feel um, a little bit even if it is really positive. And so, yeah, I agree with that. I think that that would have been worth mentioning in this book. This book spent a lot of time talking about um, sort of similar issues that they faced in in different areas. And I think that that would have been a really um, self-aware addition addition to this book yeah there were definitely some things that like maybe didn't need to be added in here that didn't really add to the story whatsoever Mm -hmm. and taking some time to see you know kind of it 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 seemed like in in these areas that they went to they would kind of find someone who like who was similar to them they 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 would find a farm that you know maybe had some connection to german heritage or like there there were the people that they partnered with, they would like kind of mm-hmm. find them randomly because they heard them speaking German or things like that. They're and- American expats mm-hmm. or, I mean, that's a good way in. Um, and not to say that it was disrespectful just, or that there was anything wrong with it because they are who they are and they, yeah. they have, and they, you know, they want to grow indigenous crops and indigenous land with indigenous people. Super pro that idea, mm-hmm. but 
And, and they're also solving a problem like, uh, like with these massive companies that are, are, that are essentially doing like deconstructive capitalists, like, you know, they're coming in and, and saying like, or unconstructive capitalism, they, they do help a lot of farmers transition from being like pesticide using and like making pittance and not not being able to to feed their families or question whether they continue can can even continue farming like they are making huge 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 strides around the world and I'm I don't want to say that they're not but there is just yeah that that aspect to just note yeah and I don't really know how to like necessarily how they would have ever avoided that. There's no, exactly. and, but I, and that's, so there, there, there's no fault there, but I think You're it right. is worth being aware of that it is, you know, that, yeah, it's still rooted in this. Oh, we will come, we will come with our money and our knowledge and our, our, and our like, you know, master's degrees and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and reteach you. Um, but it's often that, you know, these are areas that have previously been affected by other, yeah, other capitalistic industries. Like, like uh, there was one example where it was like a, a particular area, some big brand came in and gave all the farmers pesticides, highly toxic pesticides for free. They were just like, yeah, take it. Like we want, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, and this they would be like, this is the only option, or this is the best way, or right. yeah, yeah. So it's sort of that, like, yeah, it, it's it. There were a lot of areas that weren't necessarily. Um, they just didn't. Yeah, I mean, they just didn't uh, know that there was a better way. I guess mm-hmm. they've been they've been taught that that was the better way to use traditional pesticides to monocrop to, you know, um, yeah, I guess just these traditional farming mm-hmm. concepts and, and, and Dr. Bronner's comes in and is like, here's a new idea in general, like in, in its yeah. entirety, this regenerative agricultural model. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot of ways kind of getting, helping those areas get back to their roots right where there's like yeah. so much biodiversity and yep. and that was really lost within you know yeah. the past couple generations really yeah. <laughs> wasn't too long ago before, no it wasn't you know. what I'm so enthralled by is how much like German influence there is here. Mm-hmm. And even in like in this book, it would be like, there's a German. And then we just had it. We just talked with a client who talked about the, the German standard, the traditional German standard. And um, before Dandelion, I worked with a brand called Sanandi that, that did regenerative agriculture. And it has a beautiful farm in Mexico that is headed by a German man. And I, I, I like, I want to know more about like, yeah, why we keep running into that, I guess. Sure. It's just kind of something that's like another serendipitous thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm interested in it. And yeah. like, I'm like, 
maybe it's just because like my partner is Dutch and my, and his father is German. And that's just like what I. No, it's definitely standing out as like their group of people that are sort of setting precedents here and that are really upholding some pretty incredible mm-hmm. standards for sourcing and for yeah, like farming and just kind of like anything. agriculture. Yeah. <laughs> they just Shout out to Rudolf Steiner. They, they just create standards and like hold people to them really s- with a lot I yeah like they have a lot of integrity it's interesting it's interesting yeah German people do have it. a lot of integrity it's like mm-hmm. part of the thing it's like it's the rule yeah Done. there was a big section of this book that spoke about German heritage and kind of the yeah you know growing up being German in the 60s and how yeah. that really kind of, you know, they, they didn't have any pride in, in being German at that time. Yeah. And, yeah, and they just talked about, he was also very open about like Nazis and the, the Holocaust and the, like the feeling of that late, at, like after the war. It does make sense, though, don't you think that, like, the idea that we have of Germans is that they just hold true to their word, they just follow through, that, like, after listening to him talk about being German and not being, like, open, I don't want to say openly German, but, like, openly, like, patriotic. Yeah, patriotic, yeah, yeah. Mm. That he was, that that what that whole a whole generation or two generations or maybe even three generations we're in a third now feel like you know we really need to stand by what we say we like really need to make it up and just be really fucking good yeah like maybe that's a pervasive thing and that's why we see this like german influence of positivity on the world if, I mean, I think that, that makes sense. And if that's kind of the flow of what's happening, I think that's a beautiful thing. And awesome. uh, yeah, if they can take, you know, their ingrained determination and like their kind of this movement towards a more sustainable future and, 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 mm-hmm. and th- I mean, there just seems like they're creating yeah. so many of the, um organizations and the certifications yeah. and things that are going to move and, and also forward. energy yeah. yeah they're also yeah. huge which, which i think we Innovators. just we'll talk about next month and we'll probably see a bunch of influence the, in germany from germany in that aspect too also they were the first people to have like a test for covid really yeah i i remember that because the U.S. didn't want to accept it or something. Um, and they wanted to develop their own test. But anyway, they're just like so like forward. Yeah, yeah. Definitely innovative, forward thinking, solutions oriented yeah. really. like So much. It's, it's yeah. I, um, it's really impressive. Yeah, it seems like they had to be leaders in a lot of this or it, it's yep. just funny that that we're just kind of finding this 
throughout the process of doing this research that it's a, there are a lot of a lot of German-based organizations or yeah. a lot of the funding that went to the projects that Dr. Bronner's used came from foreign NGOs mm-hmm. um, that were German-based. Yeah. So yeah. Also really- Dutch, the, the Dutch, there's a Dutch sustainable bank that they mentioned in here. Interestingly enough, we have a Dutch client that also talks about that today. The same bank? So, the trio, Triodos. Yeah, they talked about the sustainable, he talked about the sustainable bank um, and how it's a little difficult to get funding and it's not that much funding when you get like the first pieces of, of that. Uh, as a small business, like you don't get so much money um, as an influx, but there are sustainable banks here that like do their due diligence to make sure that what they're offering you is um, only if you're doing good in the world. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're just like connecting to this massive network of sustainability. And it feels really, it's so (laughs) It feels so special that it's like, okay, well, it's out here. It exists. Now we get to just like help network and connect it and connect the brands we work with and the brands that are on the directory, like with each other and with these, these awesome sources like fair for life. I never would have known about fair for life if we hadn't read this book. And it's, it's so funny how, I mean, literally just two episodes of this podcast ago, we were like, I don't even know what resources are out there. (laughs) Like we we really went in it thinking that because we had heard from other business owners and people who were in decision-making positions that finding reputable sources was really, really challenging. And it felt like they were on an island floating alone in a sea of bullshit and, and they are, they're not, not, and they're not, not right. But yes, not. there is definitely this interconnected web of really, really incredible resources and people doing yeah. phenomenal work. And uh, it feels very exciting for us to kind of have pinpointed some of them. Yeah, um, exactly. And- you know what they're not good at though? These resources is SEO marketing. Yeah. Or marketing. <laughs> So like there, and uh, yes. I'm saying that in terms of like, we do marketing, but I'm also saying it in terms of like, actually, if you start just base Googling, this shit does not come up. No. I'm so grateful for Trish. I'm so grateful for Dr. Bronner's and this book because they just laid out. They just said like, here's a bunch of awesome sources for you that like our clients, we've never come across. We've never found. They don't just, they have to like, show up right that was that was kind of why we were so like unsure of what we would find this month because we had done that initial just kind of some googling you know and we're like yeah no there's not really there's not a lot these don't I'm kind of like a yeah I'm kind of like if I can't find it in 30 minutes or like 30 seconds (laughs) it's it's either really buried like it is in this case or it's not out there mm-hmm. and this and luckily in this case it's buried under a lot of words that aren't what people actually search for pretty much yeah <laughs> um 
Yes. I think that uh, out of this book, I think personally, Fair for Life, FFL certification oh my gosh, yes. was kind of the biggest resource that we found there. And definitely um, independent company that certifies fully ethical supply chains. They also certify brands. Yep. Farmers, individual sources. Yeah. Every aspect of the supply chain. Yeah, essentially. Yes. Um, They're great. And they have a directory. Whoa. They have a searchable directory. Mike drop. Yes. This is exactly what we were looking for. Exactly Mm -hmm. what we were looking for. Yep. Also supply side. Mm -hmm. We're going to like, that's not from this one. That's from the last one. Mm -hmm. We talked about a lot. Like this fair for life is great um because it's free and you can you can search and get information about sourcing supply side 365 is something that you can sign up for and i i did sign us up for it so that i could see what happens but that is also turns out to be a really dope thing like you can and that also has lots of different that's not just sourcing that has like marketing agencies like we're listed in there now it it has um like sourcing it has investors it has mm-hmm. like everything you can think of in every industry that is focused on sustainability yeah it's sort of more I think those are my two favorite yeah sources for super, this super cool resources yeah we will definitely put both of those links in the description so go scroll down a little bit and check yeah. those out um yeah I they're just really I think supply side is a really awesome network it is a network yeah Yeah, it's it's like yeah they also put on events Mm -hmm. um so you can definitely connect with other just other folks in this industry in general the fair for life is really like if you know you want to use a particular like ingredient or something this directory is going to be able, it's going to give you the, you can just type it in source. Yeah. Just, yeah. Right. Type it in. It's like a fair sourcing Google (laughs) is. Yeah. Which is an incredible resource for, for folks who want to create kind of a, you know, um, like, I think a lot of these are, are, are great for like natural skincare brands, cosmetic Mm -hmm. brands, stuff like that. Um, yeah. yeah. And also for the herbalists out there, I, what I, I didn't look into it in terms of like smaller quantities, but, um, you can find like herb suppliers yeah, that are fair for life certified. So if you're not growing some of your, some of your plants that you're using in your medicine, you could probably find a, a consistent supplier here. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend. Um, the other thing that they talked a lot about is that that in this book was rock regenerative organic certificate. Yeah. This is a little bit more like apply and see if you can get this cert- certification. It's not so resource heavy, but it is it do, they do help you and they they offer resources for farmers in particular about how to use regenerative agriculture on your farm and in your farming method and when you're like growing ingredients 
that's awesome because that's hard. Like uh, biodynamic growth is so intense and it takes a lot of labor and it's very labor intensive. And like in the beginning, the like they said in the book a lot, the yield is not as high. Mm-mm. You have to like, it takes a couple of years for the certs to come through. It takes a couple of years for the yield to get high. It's, but then the yield stays really high, obviously. And then it's like totally worth it, but it takes yeah. like a, almost a decade sometimes for that to pay itself off. Mm-hmm. Which is really the challenge, right? That like yeah. these small farms have to kind of sit it out and like not, not sit it out, but like wait, like just kind of wait. And yeah. patience is a tough and thing. work hard. Yeah, work really hard. And you're not yet like, yeah, when you're still working on those certifications, like you still have to operate as if you're certified, right? And you still have to like right. invest as if you're certified, but you can't sell your goods as being organic certified yet or fair trade certified yet. So you've incurred all the expenses, but aren't yet able to see that profit benefit. And that's a really really tough thing to convince. I know it would be really nice if a certified organic certificate had some sort of like in the process, just, it could just be a motherfucking website page on their website. Like, you know, or like with a new icon that just is like, who's like working on it. Yeah. Yeah. Like a working on an icon. Yeah. (laughs) They mentioned that, you know, oftentimes businesses were okay with making that decision, but the consumers, because they, it's unclear how to really like make that distinction for consumers. And, and ultimately it's, I mean, there's so many icons and things to look for when you're shopping for all natural products like finding something that's like okay this doesn't say organic but I'm supposed to believe that like just trust us we're working on it like that doesn't feel super confident for a consumer so it's understandable but Mm -hmm. having some sort of middle ground would be like that's why organically grown is really nice Um, I know that like there are, we worked with a brand that was actively choosing some farms that grew organically that didn't go for the certification because of the expense. Mm -hmm. So they wanted to like do the regenerative ag, do the organic growth, make money and then pay for the certification later. Um, And the way that we communicated about it was just to be transparent and just say that like, this is organically grown. Certification is really expensive. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it's tough because you'll still have some people who, you know, don't trust that. I I suppose it's like you have to build trust in other ways with your audience. Yeah, you always need to build trust in other ways with your audience too. Also, really, yeah. Also, I think like there's a growing number of people that aren't really all about the organic certification. Yeah. That because because you can have like 25% or something or 20% of non-organic ingredients in your in your product. True. And that's that's a known standard in the organic standard. So mm-hmm. like when you say that and you share that information, 
and say we've decided not to go with this because we we don't feel like it actually means anything except for like they're charging you a shitload of money to be able to say that you're organic when we're more than organic. Yeah, that's strong. That's a strong stance to be in. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was actually like kind of in the beginning of this book, they touched on that a bit because Dr. Bronner's was a part of, of essentially like a lawsuit with Whole Foods, not a, like they were, they were on the same side suing brands that use the term organic. Yeah. But didn't, but weren't. Right. That were or using greenwashing. Their, yeah. Oh, it was because there was no, that was, it was because there was no skincare standard. Mm. So yeah, when it comes to food and consumables, there was a rule about when you can say organic, you have to be certified, but that rule didn't communicate uh, or did, didn't apply to okay. skincare. I see. Yeah. So people were just being like made with organic ingredients, Mm -hmm. which in food, you can't say if it's less than 75% or something like that. I don't quote me on that figure, um, but it's something really close to that. Yeah. In skincare, you could say it if there was like a drop of essential oil that was organic. Exactly. Yeah. That was what they were suing about. Yeah. Which I think has changed, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. I don't know. Yeah. There are so many of these kind of regulatory bodies and certifications that it's a little bit tough to navigate. Um, yeah. What mean and what, yeah, what's good. Cause definitely some of them leave a lot to be desired and they talk yeah. about that in this book. And like, there was a different fair trade certification that they were working with. Um, Flow flow cert that that yeah that that one really only covered a few like massive global commodities and was not operating on a smaller level Mm -hmm. um and wasn't helpful in creating a new value chain like they weren't really ready to or interested in it seemed like adding different products or creating new value chains or like being a part of that they just were they just kind of will like fly in and be like, yes, this one, bye. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't as like all encompassing as Fair for Life. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. a Fair for Life convert. I, yeah, that definitely seemed like the absolute coolest resource. And it was a major part of this this book. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um. Gosh, I, yeah, there was, there's really so many, so many good tips about how to kind of operate your business within this book. Like you can't even get into all of them because like we said, it was probably about a 12 hour, nine. It's a 12 hour book. Audio book. (laughs) Audio book. Yeah. So 12 hour audio book. Um, there was a lot, there was a lot to unpack in there. There was a lot. And there was a lot of products and a lot of value chains and different learnings from every single one of them. Also, there's some like juicy human callouts. <laughs> there's like, a little drama. Yeah. There's some, they, yeah. They don't skimp on the drama. Like mm. it's fine. It's <laughs> I mean, it was just sort of an interesting, yeah, it was all real examples of the issues that you'll face when you are working with people 
um, around the world that have different languages, different cultures, different ideas and, yep. and trying to get people on the same page is, um, it's a yep. challenge, but it's all just human connections. And, and yeah, the, the conclusion to the book was, was really cool. Just, you know, yeah. Be wow. good, do good. Be good. Yeah. Yeah. If businesses just want to do good, you can. Yep. And that's, you know, and that's, that's ultimately up to businesses to make that decision up to cut consumers to demand that of the businesses that they support. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, kind of, yeah not thinking of profit over people and and really thinking of people planet and then profit yeah yeah and and also doing good and being internal first yeah like pay your employees well Mm -hmm. or uh, a business owner don't like just keep making money. One of the things is that it was easy for them to, it's easy for Bronner's to have extra money to give to these charities and to build these NGOs and to like be around the world because they put a, um, an income cap Mm -hmm. on, on the family. They don't need more money. They, you know, treat your employees well, respect them, be fair to your suppliers and like help them if they need more don't expect things that that you know they can't give you especially if you go there and that you see that they're facing challenges you know yeah and runners goes to like war-torn countries and countries that have experienced natural disaster and human disaster they talked about um like chevron and like and you know they talked a lot about the environmental issues and how, and he was like, you can say what you want about things like deforestation and these, and the shitty nature, you didn't use the word shitty, but the shitty nature of like how these farms are kept, but don't forget the role that the, that Western companies have in played in, in creating these environmental issues. Absolutely. It's Yeah. This is an inspiring book. I feel like I want to start it. I feel like I want to start a fucking nonprofit. <laughs> that, yeah, it was the, the yeah, it, the way that it was wrapped up was really, really incredibly inspiring because there are, yes, there are a lot of challenges, but there are just as many people who are interested in finding solutions and it's just about kind of connecting them and and creating mm-hmm. connections within this kind of ecosystem of of people who are are prioritizing um sustainability mm-hmm. and all of the aspects of sustainability and um yeah it's it's really really cool um to see how you we can do it. And it's not like, yeah, if you, you know, it's not as challenging as it may seem if you've got a good product and, um, mm-hmm. you just kind of have to, yeah, you got to put some systems in place definitely. <laughs> um, 
but you're not, you know, no one's reinventing the wheel. Even if you have, you know, a really innovative, sustainable product, there are still people who have, you know, so much experience and can be incredibly valuable resources yeah. for you. Um, yeah. So yeah, we hope to, you know, we hope that that sustainable and small brand owners don't feel like they are necessarily operating on an island anymore. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a big part of what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> easy to feel like you're on an island, but you're not, no. you're not. There are so many people out there that, that want to, that want to hear what you have going on that can help you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a great book, man. It's really good. It's really good. <laughs> this isn't, yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely recommend it. I think it's actually only available as an audiobook right now. Um, and I, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, we bought it on like pre-order and like jumped on that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it is. Yeah, so it, I think it's just through Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um and it was our last Audible purchase. Actually, we've shifted gears. We're no longer supporting Audible through this this podcast. Yes. <laughs> Where we support it? What did we move to? We gosh, I might have forgotten <laughs> a different audiobook platform that um, supports small bookstores, local bookstores. My yeah. goodness. Um. Oh boy, I should have been prepared with that before I jumped into that statement. <laughs> oh, Libro, Libro FM, perhaps. Oops. Um, I'll put it. We'll we'll put it in the description. Yeah, we'll link it. We'll find it. We yeah. have a subscription for it now, so I know now we just have to look through all of our things we have subscriptions for. But essentially, it is exactly the same as Audible, exactly yeah. the same price, but a portion of the money goes to independent bookstores. So yep. that's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. I, it felt like we've definitely got to put our money where our mouth is, especially when um, doing resource research for topics about sustainability um yeah we've learned I feel like we've learned so much we're really (laughs) just getting started and I feel like man I was crunchy before but whoa yeah yeah I'm like yeah is that the most sustainable option we're getting (laughs) like getting um our house insulated and it's house insulation and I'm going well is that the most sustainable option can we get like eco pearls is that a thing um it is a thing you have it now whoa very cool all you got to do is ask yeah you yeah ask Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and it starts by you know asking and then if there are enough people ask small businesses if they have these different you know alternatives to traditional products they'll supply it you know they'll get it right and it just kind of you know, grows from, from there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool, man. Okay. (laughs) If you want to follow along with our investigations, please subscribe. We're also adding a new 
kind of leg to environmental where after the end of each month, we're going to kind of like write up an article about everything we learned and share the sources and resources all in one place for that month. So if that's something that you would find helpful, you can go to dandelionbranding.com and sign up for our email list um, Mm -hmm. because you will receive those every week as well. Yes. Every month. Yeah. Emails every week, environmental focused emails once a month. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. Our emails are dope. We, I mean, everything we do is all about helping sustainable businesses grow. Yep. Every single thing that we do. So if that is of interest to you, please like and subscribe to this channel or Yep. Sign up for our email list. Follow Dandelion Branding on any of our assorted social media platforms. You're not um, hard to find, my friends. Nope, 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 nope. But we would love it if you joined the journey along with us because um, yeah. we're just going to keep learning and keep sharing. And yeah, so learn with us, man. It's going to be pretty yeah. cool. So yeah, you mentioned that we're going to be talking about energy, energy, energy fossil fuels, in that whole industry you know i'm actually going to talk to tom about it because tom's whole life focus is solar energy yes yeah that will yeah it'll be a really interesting one because there's so much to talk about so many different uh energy sources and um yeah so that'll be a really cool one next week we'll do an overview podcast episode and then we'll start jumping into energy. So yeah, if you have any questions about, you know, the fossil fuel industry in general, anything like that, definitely add those into the comments here because we'll definitely like investigate that and add that to, to what we Mm -hmm. want to learn. Yeah. 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 I'm really excited about it. Uh, Yeah. Uh, On to the next. And nervous. I always get nervous (laughs) when we choose a new topic because I'm like, I, don't, I yeah. wasn't before we before deforestation. I thought like there would be a solution for everything. It's never. It's not. It's not true. Turns out this will be a big one. Yes. So, yeah. Interesting to find out some solutions, but I know that they're out there. You know. Yeah. They're out there. They absolutely are. So Germany knows. Probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anywho, yes. Thank you guys so much for watching, for listening, and um, see you yeah. next week. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.